so I have always believed if the numbers are there, then that basically gives you your answer, right? If the women's team is generating the numbers, not just in terms of viewership, but definitely that viewership is converting to money, ticket sales, they have merchandise sales, they have their individual deals. It's very clear that they are dominating the sport. Then of course they have to be rewarded with the money. But like any conversation and like any subject, it's not as straightforward as it might seem. The women's team, they're head and shoulders above all the other women's teams across. the globe it's absolutely superb for the women's soccer team of united states to have maintained their standards in spite of you know fighting with the federation like world cup winners showing a federation <laughs> if you are playing those many more atp or wta events that's where the equal pay should be focused again the difficulty arises because it's an individual sport but the best thing about the 100 it's equal pay trying to avoid uh, any sort of controversy here but you anyway, know we need the controversy uh, but this is what i read and i think i read <laughs> well enough the moment we go I with say, my philosophy bro always change up the answer you may not get the points but you know your four, pride is maintained four. Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of All About Sports the podcast a podcast by the fans for the fans before we go into this week's episode a quick reminder of last week's episode we spoke with Eugene Campbell the third he's a professional basketball player currently playing in M- at NBA Rockwork in Portugal but he's played actually across Europe he's played in Moldova he's played in Armenia we learned a little bit about his story his experience playing across Europe starting off in actually New Jersey before moving there so really interesting story really wonderful to kind of learn about basketball you know outside of the nba as well so do check that out with that let's get into this week's episode we had some big news this week as the us women's team actually won a court case against the united states soccer federation in which they won a 24 million dollar settlement 22 million of which will go to the players behind the actual lawsuit just as a reminder to all our viewers of what exactly the lawsuit was about the us women's team uh, the women's national soccer team believed for a long time that they were actually garnering as much attention and viewership as the us men's team uh, for those of you who follow uh, soccer you'll note that soccer football you'll note that the us women's team is one of the most successful teams sort of across sports they've absolutely dominated they've won the last two world cups at the very least i believe the third last one they reached the finals they're a phenomenally successful by far the most successful women's team the us men's team on the other hand failed to actually qualify for the 2018 world cup so while there is maybe a difference in the viewership levels that exists for um for men's and women's football winning the women's world cup versus not qualifying for the 2018 world cup probably has a different impact on the viewership but like any conversation and like any subject it's not as straightforward as it might seem one thing that we do want to call out as a caveat is that the women's soccer team does actually receive a little bit more in benefits than other teams so it's a little bit more complicated than just um a straightforward like less in salary and they did choose a slightly different structure where women actually earn a base salary of 100000 plus performance based incentives the men on the other hand earn exclusively bonuses in lieu of an actual salary so if you don't make the team you don't make anything whereas women almost have a guaranteed compensation so there is a little bit of difference their argument was though if they played a set of 26 games and won all 20 sorry played a set of 20 games and won all 20 games 
their compensation would be significantly lower than the men. So it's always complicated. Maz, I'll go to you first with this one. What do you think about this news? It's interesting because there are some pretty interesting numbers. And I think it's just a bit of a call out to the fact that while in general, maybe, you know, one sport might earn more, it's always helpful to understand within a specific context who's actually generating more. But what are your thoughts, Maz? I mean, it's simple. According to me, you reap the rewards you earn. And the women's team, by far, they're head and shoulders above all the other women's teams across the globe. There's no, there's literally no comparison that can be drawn. American football players, are, soccer, sorry, uh, are just uh, just at a different level altogether. And I think they are getting what they deserve. Like you mentioned, the US team failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. Yes, they are on course to qualify for this one. But but still, they, they, they still managed to lose to Canada during the qualifiers right now as well. <clears throat> Which clearly says that it's not as clear-cut for the men's circuit when it comes to football, even though they have the likes of Sergio Dest, Weston McKinney, obviously Pulisic, so on and so forth. With that entire naturalization of players and all of that, the US men's team is still failing to even come on top in the Americas at the moment shows just why the women must have been even more frustrated, right? It's like you Captain America, as Pulisic is called, plays for the world champions right now in Chelsea, this, that, all that rubbish. At the end of the day, I enjoy watching US women's football way more than watching the men's play, for sure. I don't watch the men play at all, let's face it. But like, if I'm watching women's football, it's probably going to be the Manchester United women's team or then it's going to be the US women's team. So, and that is someone who literally like has no inclination to watch US football, right? US soccer and the US team play. It's just because they actually are a joy to watch. They play proper football. They would whoop our asses even if they were blindfolded. Even, um, and that's how good they are, according to me. So, uh, it just comes back to that, according to me. And this is where one of those rare cases where I would align with uh, Shubham's ideologies behind it. If you generate the revenue, you generate the viewership, you deserve to earn that much. And we'll get into the other sports later as well. But according to me, truly deserved. It's sad that it had to reach that stage, though. It should have never have come to that. Why do, why do, why did they have to struggle so much to get to this point? Because, I mean, it's clear that it's not only the case of performance, right? In their case, the viewership is there, the fan following is there, the merchandising is there, the sales are there, sponsorships come in. Nike has such huge deals with so many of these American soccer players. It just never made sense to me. And it's, it's disgraceful from the U.S. Soccer Federation's point of view that they didn't do something about this on their own proactively and they sat on their laurels. That's my problem with it. No, I just had one question because, Krishnan, you mentioned that the U.S. Um, women's team, all the players playing there, they get a base salary of $100,000 and the men's don't. So, just out of curiosity, is there is there any specific reason to that? Why? 
So it just comes down to the collective bargaining agreement. So both players' unions just negotiated for different things. The the men's team sort of negotiated for more of a incentive-based structure. It probably also has to do more with the fact that their earnings from other teams is probably pretty decent if they're playing in the MLS or you know now we know the Pulisic's and Dests are playing in the Premier League. In fact, that was my second question. That uh, the men's they obviously play in the MLS. Is there also like a women's division or something like that? Is there or or they just play national football? No, there's there's NWSL. There's, so there's an equivalent in uh, so there's obviously England, but in in the US there's the NWSL. But again, uh, the amount of salary you're getting is is very negligible. I think it's in like the average is somewhere close to forty thousand. It's not super high um, in the NWSL. So I think so, that's so this a big battle. Reason. This battle, well, battle might not be the right word, but this basic discussion has only been in relation to the national team. Nothing to do with the MLS or the NWLS, like you mentioned, right? So this is only the national team. Correct, correct. Entirely okay. the national team, and so that. But it, you, you, you are correct in the sense that the reason they negotiated slightly different structures is likely because of the league structure and the club structure. Yeah, national they only earnings money, so yeah. Exactly. So national earnings for the the US women's team is makes up a lot more of their purse than for the US men's team. Definitely for a Pulisic, Dest, Gio Reyna, for those guys, and that's also a big reason why. The U.S. men's team, I think, actually supported this. It's because, frankly, they potentially might drop their. Well, this is just bringing the women's up. It's not necessarily bringing the men's down. A and B, club earnings is still probably makes up a lot more for them, um, in general. Yeah. And must just going to that revenue generation point. I wanted to quickly hit on that because, as exactly like you said, in twenty six twenty sixteen, women's games actually generated one point nine million more in revenue than men's games. And from 2016 to 2018, women earned 50.8 million, whereas men's games earned 49.9 million. So it's it's slightly higher, but the fact that it's slightly higher and the compensation was significantly lower is definitely problematic. The one thing though I do want to call out is this only talks about ticket sales. The sponsorships, the way that the U.S. Soccer Federation sells sponsorships, is they spe- they sell sponsorships collectively. So they sell it collectively for the U.S. men's and women's team, which in this case, a lot of people say might actually disadvantage the women because there's a lot more there's a lot more positive marketing that you're getting from the women's team currently because of their success. And there is a belief that actually the sponsorships are more wanted to cover the women's side than it is the men's side. But there isn't data on that, so we're not exactly sure. What the sponsorship difference is, which obviously plays a big role. But Malu, we know you're the numbers guy. So, what is sort of your reaction to these some of these numbers? Because I'll be honest, I was a little bit surprised to, to be very honest with you. So, I've always believed if the numbers are there, then that basically gives you your answer, right? So, if if the women's team is generating the numbers, uh, not just in terms of viewership, but definitely that viewership is converting to money. Uh, they 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 have ticket sales, they have merchandise sales. Um, all the athletes are also in individually having big followings. Obviously, when individual athletes have big followings, uh, as a collective, obviously, I, I would imagine their following would be much larger. Um, they have their individual deals, and like Mazar mentioned, now they have an ex- exclusive deal with Nike. So, if all of that is in place, obviously, there is something that they're doing correctly. It, it's very clear that they are dominating the sport. And if they are dominating this their sport, then of course they have to be rewarded with the money. Um, one thing that you said I find very interesting is um, how how the U.S. Federation collectively sells their sponsors, uh, uh, sponsorship rights. I mean, so I think now again, like you said, there's no data, but I feel this might be a situation where uh, maybe the women's team is hard done, right? 
because maybe there are certain brands who only like to sponsor the women's uh, football and perhaps if they were sold separately the women's team would get a lot more money and with that lot more money they would in return get a higher remuneration so uh, it'd be it's actually very interesting if if there would be any data available in terms of how much only the men's could generate or how much the women's could generate but in terms of what whatever this decision has been passed uh, considering uh, how how mother spoke highly of the women's team and and what their achievements are, i don't follow it much but clearly if if they are there uh, then then i think uh, uh, amazing for them yeah they deserve it that that's a good point malu also because it does hit on an interesting point which which i think we we always talk about and this goes back to the same point of there's an assumption consistently that women's sports just earn less and i think in a lot of cases that is just the, the fact and i'm not saying it's fair or unfair but the, the viewership is just not there unfortunately but this was a really good call out that i think the federation was just sort of resting on their laurels and kind of saying like yeah maybe we can make that argument but when the financials were audited there was a realization that holy shit we should have checked this like we just assume that's the case it's not necessarily the case in all situations um so it is a kind of a unique scenario gui i'll go to you, you know, to you know of, uh, oh yeah. sorry before gui comes in i just want to add one thing that i think collectively selling sponsorship this i'm just thinking on the top of my head i think it's brilliant when there's massive disparity between the men's game and the women's game so for example like in india if we if we take uh, i don't know like take hockey for example now this i'm just making up i really don't know how the men's are versus the women's but if the men's are very good and the women's aren't very good and if the rights are sold collectively this can really help the underperforming division to boost up and come up but in this case where the rights are being sold and the women's are better but they are being underpaid than the men's so this is this is like obviously very sad but i think collectively selling rights can really boost up one division which is not performing well so i can see that side also but obviously in the us's case it's it's uh, more detrimental for the women so yeah just to add to what you said shobham india does it right with the bcci as well with women's cricket so there is a disparity clearly uh, in terms of viewership and even earnings for that matter but the sponsorship rights are the same and everything goes collectively so that is how the bccci works out their contracts and it works because it's really boosted the the women's, women's game, game in yeah. india and we're seeing some superstars up and coming grassroots is getting better for female cricket so yeah you're right it, it again it's subjective and i think it works when there is that disparity but it's just it's just like a very different scenario to see the females earning more already and then no one realizing that and then just not even bothering that's the it's just so odd more surprising for it to happen in the united states which generally is they do the best marketing plays right you see someone doing well okay pick them up make them a bigger star than anyone else and and yet and yet there is a six year uh, lawsuit but which is uh, you know uh, on the backs of world cup winners like world cup winners suing a federation this is <laughs> and i'm 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 probably the one who hates uh, the federation versus players uh, antics the most right we've seen some really entertaining teams uh, kind of shot to dust like west indies cricket is one of them right because they fight so often with the federation you missed years of crazy cricket to be honest from them uh, and it's it's really detrimental uh, and you know 
it's absolutely superb for the women's soccer team of united states to have maintained their standards in spite of you know fighting with the federation they are under which is like kudos to them for that and what's confusing about this malu exactly to your point is i i completely agree with you it's it's helpful to use the marketing power of one group to kind of help develop the other group i think what was confusing for them is they were earning more but they oftentimes their training facilities would be non grass as compared to male players being training on grass they the men fly charter while they typically fly commercial the tipic the ticket prices for the women's national games are lower and there was a claim that the marketing efforts were also lower so it was kind of confusing to them where it's like where exactly to your point where making more but it's not we're also just getting a worse situation it's almost as if you know um, if indian cricket was funding women's cricket which to some extent it does do men's cricket and then suddenly they asked virat kohli and rohit sharma not to start flying commercial and to start flying oh, sorry to not fly private and fly commercial but the women's team could could fly you know private it would be a very confusing dynamic so i think that's it's a great point it's a weird dynamic when one group is earning more but getting less which you which you called out right at the start so gui i'm going to hand it back to you actually because i wanted to kind of dive into some of the transition points into other sports right because it's an interesting call out and interesting to see how trans you know translatable it, it is to other sports and i want to talk a, a sport that obviously you know at the back of your hand tennis tennis is actually a sport that does pretty decently when it comes to the gender pay gap there was a study that was done on the average earnings of across sports between male and female and tennis is actually one of the highest so gui can you talk a little bit about how what tennis has done to sort of bring that gap closer and are there cases where viewership and revenue generation similar to the us women's soccer team are actually similar where you can do something like what the us women's team has done so um the point in tennis uh, to be made is that it's an individual sport right so the way you bargain becomes like completely different and to apply the same uh, standards as you would do it to a team sport uh, and apply you know apply the same standards to tennis is kind of difficult to do considering each player brings a set of things which the crowd may or may not enjoy anyway coming to the point the grand slams do very well in terms of paying uh, both men and women equally coming down now here's the issue right there are four grand slams which run across two weeks if you make it past round i mean if you make it to the main draw yes you are earning well uh, even for just playing your round one match but the issue is that there's what round 1 2 3 4 quarter semis and the finals the seven games every grand slam right if you play all 28 of those games which is extremely unlikely uh unless you are federer or rafa at their peak it or maybe djokovic in the last few years i don't think serena's managed it to the, i don't think anyone must have managed to play all 28 right it's fed was not playing the french <laughs> okay uh rafa would have faltered in one slam typically the australian but so there is the point you have only 28 games where you know men and women get paid equally but now come down to the atp or the wta events those are the events which like why do you hear that 65 atp events have been won by i mean that's the number right 65 or 68 for djokovic and nadal that that's where they are those many career titles 
if you are playing those many more ATP or WTA events, that's where the equal pay should be focused. Uh, also, right? Uh, if the larger number of games are played outside of the slams, there has to be equal pay in those as well. Again, the difficulty arises because it's an individual sport. Ash Barty playing uh, Serena in round one is going to get more viewership. It's going to be put on the center court. It's going to be put on the main court of any WTA event if there is more than one court in those events. But as opposed to, you know, some hundred seed playing or even if you're outside of the top 10, you don't get to play there, right? Even if you're in the men's draw, if Serena is playing, which, which comes down to the point that, yes, viewership is that good for a certain player. But how do you then equate that for the entire lot of players playing in the slam? Which is why it's really difficult and I do not, I mean, of course, uh, the slams having made it equal is great. But yes, the WTA and ATP events also need to work on this aspect because it will really help in terms of pushing because most players don't play the slams. <laughs> you, have to, <laughs> you have to, even uh, even Mr. Adukan who won, played the qualifiers, right? So that's that's the point. Like you have to play the qualifiers uh, even if you're like what, outside the top how many? 50, 60, you have to play the qualifiers. There's very little chance or you have a wild card because of your past uh, laurels. But yeah, it's it's a little difficult in tennis to apply what has just happened in women's soccer. You know, I just I just thought of one thing. Obviously, I'll share with you guys and you'll tell me your thoughts on it. So when Goi was talking about how it is difficult to apply in tennis, so you guys might be aware about like how La Liga they sell their TV rights. The TV rights is not sold as a league. It is uh, like each team can negotiate their individual TV rights. So obviously Real Madrid, Barcelona, they make a lot, lot of money. And obviously in a collective sport, it becomes very difficult to compete because one club is getting, for example, 100 million, one is getting 10 million. There's a huge gap. So I think in a sport like tennis, which is an individual sport, to get pay equality, I think what they can do is for every round, they can just have a base pay. Obviously, now this you have to keep in mind in terms of the numbers, viewership, a little bit you have to keep in mind. You can't just have a base pay, but sort of like have a base salary sort of a structure. And then after that, individual players can negotiate their deals based on their popularity, their their the amount of money they generate for the ATP. So for example, like say if there's a Roger Federer playing against um, some up, upcoming player, any, any upcoming player in round one, say both of them have a equal salary of $3,000. And then Roger Federer can have an individual contract saying that these many rounds I win, this is the amount of money I'm generating for the event. So this should be my bonuses. And the other player can have his individual contracts. So like this, what can happen is it becomes merit-based. If a player through his performances climbs up this ladder, uh, gets to rank number one, two, three, or rank number 10, starts winning tournaments, then he's getting the bonus that he deserves based on his merit. And he's getting a base salary. This can be applied to the women's and men's games. So then there won't be a question of pay disparity, right? Then you're just getting paid based on what you deserve and what your skill set is. So my only thing with Anmalu is I I generally think barring the maybe a, the conversation you can have of ATP and W you know ATP tournaments, I actually think tennis pays okay. Like I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with it. So I don't think anything has to change. 
No, the reason I brought this up is because how Gui mentioned there are only four Grand Slams, but like 60-65 ATP tournaments. And if those 60-65 ATP tournaments is where the major disparity is, is what I derived from Gui's conversation, then those four Grand Slams really don't make up for anything, right? So that's where the focus should be. And that's where I just thought maybe... Like, you know, this is just for the sake of conversation, right? Just coming up with ideas. Like, so yeah, just, just your thoughts on it, really. So, no, no, I, no I, I, I think it's very creative because I honestly didn't think of that. My call out to that is, I think what tennis is doing is actually similar to the example that you gave earlier, which is one using the big four to fund the rest. So the issue with the situation where like Roger Federer or Nadal or whoever can negotiate their rate is they would get a really good rate versus, let's say, you know, uh, Sissipas, for example. The, what tennis is trying to do is use the the name of Roger Federer and Nadal and etc. to pay the D- Dimitrov and Zverevs and all the smaller names more. Um, the issue with the the issue with the structure in which you can each negotiate will mean that the Nadal and Roger etc. will make more and more. And maybe if Zverev and Medvedev, let's say, get better and better, they'll eventually start to make more. But if you're this one-off winner, let's say like an MR Adukanu who comes out, of, comes out of nowhere, maybe your earnings won't be as much because more funding will still be diverted to maybe a Naomi Osaka. So that's the only reason I think they might be opposed to it is very honestly, they are... Tennis is sort of riding on the backs of the Serena of Williams, Naomi Osaka. Of course. Well. And they're using it to fund the others, which I think, I don't know if I like, or, I, I, I don't mind it only because I think those, those big names earn so much just from their sponsorships that winnings are obviously very relevant to Nadal and Federer. And so Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, what they earn from the Grand Slams is more the pride of winning the Grand Slams. The financial winning from the Grand Slams isn't as big a deal for them. Nothing compared to their sponsorship money, right? Exactly. But to a Zverev or a Tsitsipas, it's actually huge. It's actually a decent amount. It's not. I'm not saying the bulk, but it means a lot more to them, which is why I'm okay with the current structure. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know, Maz, um, Gui, what, what your thoughts are. It is an interesting point, though, to, 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 to solve the issue at the ATP level. Oh, so... At the ATP 1000 versus the ATP 1000 events uh, pay handsomely, all right? ATP 500 event has, I think, the Rio Open. I'm just looking right now for 2022. The prize money is 111,000, all right? For men's and women? Good question. Good question. Okay, a WTA 1000 event. WTA is the women's one, all right? The 2021 winner got 370,000 dollars all right now let me go to another atp 1000 event which should be round about the same because the 1000 events are the ones where all the popular players play and then you dial down to the 500s and the 250s which are kind of difficult to watch also okay here it is the atp 1000 event prize money for doubles 414,000. Men's. Singles is men's. What the winner is close to a million. And women's is three hundred and seventy thousand. What you said. Yeah. I see. That's that's three times, dude. This is now. This is just random fact check. May or may not be correct. But <laughs> but this is what I read, and I think I read <laughs> well enough to <laughs> appropriately write that piece of information. 
And I would, I, I would suspect that WTA pay is maybe lower. I mean, the, the, the truth is the Wimbledon, the Grand Slams made a conscious decision to, to keep it equal, despite, I think, viewership potentially being inconsistent. So, Mazal, let me actually go to you with that, because I think tennis is a bit confusing. It's hard to say how good viewership is, or is it, like, is it comparable or not? Because we've lived in this era of the big four, right? So, Viewership just seems to be higher for men's, but it's confusing to say if you take them out, if that would be the case. Because if we always had Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams in the finals, would women keep up? So I don't know what your thoughts are on viewership when you compare those two. I think they can. Uh, We actually had a talk from the US Open tournament director. So she's basically the managing director for the USDA. And what she said through whatever surveys they ran and obviously through just gate entries and for the US Open, there are more more women than men when it comes to viewership in spectators in the the grandstands, not only uh, center court. I'm not talking about only Louis Armstrong and uh, the Arthur Ashe. I'm talking about all the courts in general. The tournament saw more female viewers than male. So, I think that's a big, I think that's the perfect uh, sort of example to use that. I think you're right, Krishnan. I, if if it's a Serena versus Osaka, they might get more viewership than a, maybe a Medvedev versus Tsitsipas. So, so, one thing, Mazda, when you say more female viewers, you mean uh, more viewers for the female circle or you mean more female fans? No, just female fans in general, and which so is also female surprising. fans are watching men's games or women's games. Both, the, the basically in general. So what they noticed was the courts were not only full when it was male tennis players playing; they were full for the females as well. And in fact, obviously, like you mentioned, Radhakanu and Coco made a, that was their highest viewership. So then we went on to ask her: Is female viewership? More than the men's circuit. She said, yes, it is. And this is, we're talking about the US, uh, literally the USDA head saying that, that it was more for the female circuit that time around because there was no one else. It was only the Djokovic games that probably saw higher viewership. So I think that's a lot to go by and speaks volumes of how different tennis is in terms of viewership when it comes to female versus male. But I'm not surprised by that because like Gui said, I think individual sports are very different than team sports. Here you are like sort of rooting for a personality, right? So it's much more different than when it comes to team sports in general. Also, it's like leveling the playing field in a sort of way. Like tennis is spectacular to watch regardless, but watching less quality of football is not as attractive. As watching top quality tennis. Like, like, like I said, right? The US women's team is so good that you would get bored watching them play another team because they will most likely hammer them. So Thailand what's game the fun in the competition? Or something. I remember there was a Thailand game at the start of the one of the World Cups and it was some ridiculous score. So so that's why I, I just think it comes down to that. Like team sports are just so much harder to watch if one team's just too strong. And there's and you can tell me oh the charm of the FA Cup and all that BS, but that barely ever happens, especially not at the the international level when you're talking about countries going against each other. So 
makes a massive difference for sure and and we've seen it again i think what makes female tennis more exciting is the fact that it's three sets because there's less time to come back like rafa would have been knocked out if he played three sets right he wouldn't have been grand slam champion at the end of the day so i think all of these things factor into it the spectacle people keep talk about pay and all of that but people forget the spectacle as well uh it plays a big factor into viewership which drives money at the end of the day i would i personally i would rather pay and watch uh osaka versus serena or or osaka versus bati or something rather than watch a sitsipas versus team No, I think I think a lot of viewers might make a similar decision. What's interesting is, and in ATP and WTA tournaments, it's all three sets, right? So it's not like there's less like advertising time or anything like that. Like in Grand Slams, you can maybe make that argument. Like there's just less time, so there's less advertising, so you earn less. In WTA and ATP, it's about the same. Yeah, that's why it's even crazier, right? Because it's three sets in both cases, and the men's circuit one million compared to. Three seventy thousand is unacceptable in a lot of ways. So, Maz, I actually want to call out the to the point that you spoke about about what the U.S. Open director spoke about. At the U.S. Open, the women's final actually drew more television viewers than the men every year from two thousand ten to two thousand fourteen. I don't have data post that, uh, but again in twenty twenty one, the game between. Emma Raducanu and Leila Fernandez, you know, averaged two point four four million viewers, which was more than the Daniel Medvedev Novak Djokovic final, which had Djokovic in it. So there are definitely instances where they do exceed. On the flip side, I did get a little bit on the viewership in ATP tournaments. So apparently, the men's ATP World Tour events have generated larger audiences and revenue than the women's WTA Tour, um, according to statistics that BBC compiled. The ATP drew 973 million viewers in 2015 for the men's ATP tournaments versus 395 million million for the women's um, for the women's circuit. So maybe that's kind of what's contributing to the pay. Maybe at the Grand Slam level, viewership is is relatively equal, but maybe it's dropping off at the ATP and WTA circuit. But but Krishnan again, this you we are forgetting that time Rafa Federer. would have been playing some a lot of these atp tournaments as well so i think that also has to be factored in yeah it's still a massive disparity and i'm not saying it's going to get closer and it sort of you're right it might be justifying that but again we don't know how much of that is driven by again like shubham said rafa and fed and djokovic it goes to the same the, the i think the, the call out for ten, tennis in general is individual brand name means so much that when you take a just pull out one brand name remove you know take the, the impact that i think single handedly serena williams has had since you know with not playing in the last couple of years or playing not at the same level maybe in the last couple of years has been it's had a, i think drastic impact on women's tennis just automatically the same way i think once the four eventually retire the big four in tennis eventually retire on the men's circuit it's going to take a hit on um it, it, the men's tennis is going to take a hit as well so um we we'll see how that goes mas i'm going to hand it back to you we're going on this path on looking at a couple of the sports mas we want to talk a little bit about cricket so you know a little bit about some of the work that's being done in the women's cricket in the in the area of women's cricket can you talk a little bit about how they're dealing with some of the pay disparities on the women's cricket side sure krishna so 
we we already mentioned how the BCCI has taken a huge initiative by linking sponsorships for women's cricket in India. It's clearly made a big difference. We are seeing Indian women's cricket become much more competitive. Still have ways to go. We struggled in the New Zealand series just now, but uh, still I'm seeing a lot of progress and. They're good to watch. It's it, honestly the women's cricket in general is good to watch, especially Australia are so good. Uh, you see a few players here and there. New Zealand Susie Bates is an absolute joy to watch. She wicketkeeper, batsman, just a monster. Even India, yeah, I can't wait to watch Anushka Sharma. Also, she's become a cricketer. <laughs> what? <laughs> She's doing a movie, na? She's playing a cricketer. Oh God, Julan Goswami. Oh, that that yeah, that trailer was an <laughs> trailer was an embarrassment and an like sad for Julan Goswami. She sounds nothing like that. They've given her this strong Bengali accent which she doesn't have. It's like racial profiling in a lot of ways. <laughs> Trying to avoid uh, any sort of controversy here, but my personal opinion. Anyway, no, we need the controversy. Uh, Hopefully, we can tag on to all the people watching that trailer who can maybe come to this afterwards. So keep it going, guys. <laughs> we can add this in the in the clip at the start. <laughs> but uh, coming back to it, women in BCCI is done. That's one thing. Women's cricket in general, ICC was generating a lot of views for the Women's World Cup. It's slowly going up. So I think. Cricket is on the right path. Pay is something that is being discussed, is being worked upon, but there are certain players who do earn well. Uh, of course, because they have, they've created their own brand of, of and so many other factors to it. But uh, there's the Women's Big Bash League, which Australia created, Cricket Australia created. And what they did was they completely made it a separate entity. So, even though they are all under Cricket Australia, it's their own brand. The Women's Big Bash League has their own title sponsor. It's not KFC. So, it's Weber's, if I'm not wrong. So, like, they've taken that thing and they've created this own brand. The the female cricketers also feel like they belong now in a lot of ways. Uh, The Big Bash has been doing well. Even the Women's Big Bash has been doing exceedingly well. It led to the 100 being created as England tries to rejuvenate cricket and create interest again, garner interest in uh, in the UK, in England and Wales. And le- the first season was a huge success. What happens is the f- women and men play on the same day and they're both telecasted on BBC. Sometimes they play on the same ground, so it's the women who will go first, or the men. That there's no sort of like order as such in terms of that. But so the final was played on the same day, for example. And what happened was there were 2.4 million viewers that tuned into the final of the hundred, and 17,000 people watched the final of the women's game, and 25,000 tuned in for the men's final, which was after that. So even though you may say that the men's game got more viewership, it's not necessarily the case. It's because it was also later in the day. So that evening time is something that generally people would prefer. So I think this speaks volumes of what they are doing. But the best thing about the 100 is that it's equal pay. So they're all getting paid by the ECB, the English Cricket Board. 
and it's all equal pay so the winners winning team gets the same mon- money prize money and so do the runners up and so on and so forth there are many other things coming in they're looking for private investment to go going forward potentially and that might also change a lot and they're just hoping one day so bcci has not allowed the male players to play for any other leagues but the female players are there so we have five players representing uh so some of these uh, out one some of these teams in in the 100 including harmanpreet kaur and smriti mandhana two superstars so hopefully it will increase viewership in india they didn't have a deal for television rights here they, they you could only watch it on fan code through the app but that was also premium so fan code is owned by dream sports for all of you who don't know dream 11 same owners so i am one of those all of us who did not know by the way i had no idea anyway <laughs> yeah but but the point is like slowly that viewership might also increase if they can somehow figure out some rights with um, some media rights here in india and make it exclusive here i'm saying it like i'm there so, like there in guys case uh but the point is it's moving in the right dis- direction i think a lot of sports can take a page out of cricket's book cricket's doing its best to anyway save test cricket as well I'm not sure if the hundreds the best method to do that but at least it's fun and i'm looking forward to watching the second season because i didn't watch the first but i heard good things about it so let's see shobham you and i will go that don't think the tickets will be too expensive so we can definitely go definitely <laughs> to keep our viewers and listeners updated shubham is also joined the london crew so he is now with mazhar there so we have we needed we needed two correspondents because of all the stuff going on in the premier league so um he's headed there to kind of support the the your emia function um but must thanks for the update on that thanks for also for the review of the julan goswami trailer much appreciated hopefully we can get some attention from there um we're going to go into the quiz i just want to call out really quickly call out two other sports where women's sports are pretty big in i'd say wnba um the average salary for a wnba player is about 120000 the top owner the top owner in 2021 made 221000 so that's about 100000 more than the average The highest earner is obviously not comparable in in the men's circuit. It's like Steph Curry who gets forty five million a year, so it's not comparable at all. But again, if we if we're being honest, viewership is also different. The interesting thing though is that they did find the viewership is actually on the incline for many many WNBA teams. There is more and more viewership that's coming in, so that might generate a bit more a uh, bit more in way of salary as well. um unfortunately it's not converted to revenue as yet because if you see a lot of the wnga games the productions actually pretty fantastic it's pretty great they're they're putting up games in a pretty good way they're doing a good marketing and advertising campaign but they're not as yet able to match the attention so they're currently still making losses but they're hoping to overcome that with you know with attention from viewers the last quick one is ufc where we also see a big you know prevalence of female athletes obviously the big names of amanda nunes and ronda rousey were the ones to generate um generate a lot of attention i think for the sport especially on the female side they did find that in general the highest female ufc salary in 2020 was approximately um 450000 which which again is not going to be comparable to the the highest earners um in in the men's side in 2020 uh, the, the the highest earner was 
Um, Zhang Weili in 2020, the highest earn on the men's side was Khabib, who earned six million. So it's not really comparable again side by side. Again, viewership is is a little bit different, but that's another sport where women's athletes are really coming up and becoming really household names. If you follow mixed martial arts, it's one of those sports where really the women's athletes are as much of household names as you would say the men's athletes are, especially the bigger the bigger names. So. There's a couple of the others where uh, women's sports are pretty big. But with that, guys, let's get into the quiz. We technically started this round of quizzes a few episodes ago. I screwed up and gave away way too many points, essentially assuring my loss. So I was able to negotiate a you know a new agreement by which we restart the quiz altogether. Um, so that's what we're going to do now. A quick quiz round. It's going to be focused on women's sports, but I'm going to give a few options so that we make it a little bit easier. I'm going to start off with cricket. Guys, question number one. Who won the last Women's World Cup? Mazar, you you seem to have the answer locked and loaded. So I'm going to not give it to you because I think it's you for sure have it. I'll go to Malu first. Save the... Just fastest fingers first, Krishna. Okay, go for it, go for it, go for it, go for it, Mas. Go for it, you get it. No, no, it's okay, it's okay. Let, Let them go as well. Uh, I'm guessing it was. I don't know. Between India and Australia. Uh, India. Okay. Gui. If met Australia. Okay. Mazar. Who is it? It's England. Man? It's England. They beat us in the final. What? A, which we should have won. We just oh, panicked under oh, pressure. Oh. We panicked under pressure. Now, now I remember. <laughs> Now I remember. Now that you say that we were there and we lost, I remember that there was a lot of. Uh, we just panicked. That we didn't have. We needed the female version of Dhoni at that point to drive us through. But uh, never mind. They, they played amazingly in that tournament. They were really good, though. The female team, the women's team, did really well. Okay, so a follow-up to that. So India was in the final. You're absolutely right. It was England who won the last World Cup. India's in the final. India's actually never won it. But they, we have been runner-up. How many times has India been a runner-up in the Women's World Cup finals? And I'll hand it to the closest if we don't. If no one gets the exact number, I'll give it to the person who's closest. Mazal, I'll go to you first this time since this one is not going to be as obvious. Um, I think I know two for sure. Was there a third though? I'm not actually. I'm not even sure about two now that I think of it. Uh, the way he has asked the question is It sounds like that should be ten, ten or eleven. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. I'll go with. I'll go. How many fe- women's World Cups have happened? If you can just tell me. Ooh, that's a good question. I think there have been eleven totally. I might be wrong, but I think okay. there've been eleven totally. So, so I'm going with three. Three, okay. Yeah, you know, I was thinking three only. Three, okay. Gui? Now, here's the catch. Here's the catch. I was thinking two, but if I don't say three and they turn out to be right, there's three points for everyone. The moment Gui, go I with say my philosophy, three, bro. Always change up the answer. You may not get the points, but you know, your four, pride is maintained. Four. 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 Uh, Gui, wrong side. It's actually two. You should have gone for two. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go lower, man. Anyhow, the answer no, I, is two. Yeah, I had a feeling. I had a feeling. I wasn't sure. Was that you had it right? It was 2005 and then 2017 most recently. Okay, okay guys. I so, am taking your advice. 
<laughs> so we got two if points. Krishna's advice: you will end up with a punishment. As simple as. <laughs> <laughs> so we have two points for Mazhar, one point for Malu. Gui, sorry, sticking with the zero as of now. Last question on on women's cricket: Who has won the most World Cups in women's Australia. cricket? Gui going with Australia. Malu, what do you think? Or Mazhar, what do you think? I'll go to you. I'll go to you first, maybe on this one. Australia, Australia. Yeah, even I was good with Australia only. Absolutely right. Australia with six World Cups. Six World Cups, yeah. Yep. So, Gui, you're off the board. It's one point Gui, two points Malu, three points Maz. Let's switch sports a bit now. Let's move to tennis. So, tennis is a little bit harder um, because I was looking at the ATP rankings and ATP rankings really shift up a lot. Like, they are super inconsistent. Ashley Barty is number one. Who is number two right now in the WTA rankings? We are going to you first. It is a known name. It's a known name. It's not a huge name, but it's it's a known name. Uh, oh, oh, oh my God! Is it Sabalenka? So your answer is Sabalenka. Who are you thinking, Maz? Oh, me? Oh, yeah, Sabalenka. Okay, Malu. Which choice, Sabalenka? Sabalenka. <laughs> I would have done the same, Manu. I didn't know. I, I know like three people on this list. It is number two, Savalenka. Gui, right? Answer. I think the hint I'm hoping helped a little bit. Uh, so that takes you to two, Gui, three, Malu, Mazar with a four over there. Um, okay, next up. I'm switching out of tennis because tennis became a little bit too hard for me. In the women's football circuit, we already spoke about how US absolutely dominates. They're number one by far. Can you name who is number two or three? If you name one of them, I'll give it to you. They are both European countries. I will go. It's between Netherlands and England. Netherlands and England. Okay. Gui. Oh, oh, oh. There's a very good shout for Spain though. But I'm, so my, if you, I'm, I'm supposed to name one. No, you, you get two. And if you get even one of them, you just get only one point up for grabs. But if you get even one of them, I'll give it to you. I'm going between Netherlands and England. Yeah. Okay. Overs- yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Chumam, I'll switch it up a little bit. Who are you thinking? England for sure, I think. Okay. And just because I have to select another country. And uh, Gui was stressing on Spain. England and Spain, I guess. Okay. Okay. Mazar? It's a wry smile. Germany is there. Germany is there for sure. But okay. second one, you said both are European, right? So actually the top four, five barring your US are all <laughs> European. Okay, so that doesn't help. I'll so I know Germany for sure. I'm going with Germany because I I know they've been doing really well. And uh second one I don't know, but I'll go with Netherlands. Netherlands, pretty good shot. So Netherlands is fifth. It's actually Sweden and Germany. I was pretty surprised by this too. I thought as well it would be Netherlands and England. These are the current rankings. I have no idea what tournaments happened recently. The Netherlands uh, runners up in the World Cup. They yep. won the European Championship the last time around. Yeah, bro, I don't know how the rankings FIFA rankings, rankings were. Yeah. I have no idea. Belgium are still number one. Belgium are still number one. Yeah. In men. So, I mean. I'm so mad right now. <laughs> okay. Follow up to that question is who won the FAWSL? So, that's the equivalent of the Premier League, but for women's. 
Who won that? And I'll give you a hint. It's one of the top six. It's one of the top six. That you didn't need the hint, Krishna. I think you probably would have guessed that either way. Uh, I'll go last. (laughs) I'll switch it up to Malu. Oh, I know. I'm thinking between Chelsea or City. Guys, thinking of getting me panicky now. Okay, I'll just I'll just go with. Give two options here, Chelsea or City. Either one, whoever's correct, I get a point. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm not going with that. Only because I know I'll need points later. <laughs> and Malu is usually the one guy I'm like relatively close to. <laughs> oh, God, this is hard. Uh, Chelsea. Okay. Gui? Chelsea. Mazar? Chelsea, they oh. just... They Let's just go, lost. Hey, he didn't say. We, I didn't say if it's right or not. Now we just no, assumed no, no, no. that Mazar has right. it. Because right. when you right. when you asked the question, Mazar was so confident. So I was like, okay, it yeah, has yeah, to no. be. They lost the Champions League final to Barca. They were too dominant. No one can beat this Chelsea women's team right now. It seems. Last year, now this year they can. Not to ah, this year, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of teams have beaten them this year. To be fair. Great job, guys. So, 6-4-3. So, 6 for Mazar, 4 for Malu, 3 for Gui. As always, a lot of points on grabs. Last question, sealing the deal. Two points up for grabs over here. Uh, sorry, wait, no, sorry. Two points not up for grabs. Only one point up for grabs. Uh, it's <laughs> finishing off on Wimbledon. has learned from his mistake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm finishing off. I, I thought I'd done with tennis, but I actually have one more t- tennis question in the bag, and I think we can all we can all speak to this athlete. So, in the Forbes 2020 list, uh, one of the female athletes on there, I think she's one of the few that aren't a whole lot, was Naomi Osaka. What were her 2020 earnings when she was on the Forbes list? Closest to wins. Closest to, closest to wins. Give me, give me who was on the top and how much they earned, actually. Okay, okay, just, just say no the, person above, the person above her earned how much. I Tell me who, tell me out of the max. Okay, the max on the list? Okay, yeah. one sec. Must be corner only, right? Oh, so 2020 corner. Why? What did he do in 2020? Are just his beer, his bloody whiskey brand only. <laughs> it's possible. So the cutoff to make the I'll, I'll, I'll give you this is the only hint I'm giving because this is the only thing I can find right now. So I'll give you a hint that Osaka is number 12. That's one hint. The second hint is that the cutoff to make the top 50 was 34 million. Uh, my initial number was much below that. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so the cutoff to make is 34 million. She's number 17. So closest to wins. And this is top 100 list. Top 100 list. Correct. Oh, sorry. No, this is our top 50. Sorry. The cutoff to make the top 50 was 34. Chala now, every question, Mazar Khan go last. He goes first this time. Mazar, you go first this time, boss. Are it's a numbers I'm, question. You go first or last, whatever it is. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I have no idea. So you said 30. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. It, it matters every time I answer first, and then these guys follow my answers and they're getting the points. <laughs> they did all steal your Chelsea answer. I completely yeah, agree with exactly, you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, this is earnings through 2020, the year 2020. No, but like that includes sponsors. Forbes I think it includes everything. I think it includes everything, including endorsements. 103.8 million. 103.8, okay. 
Malu, go, go. Malu, go. टॉपिक्स We have an episode every single week, so we'll be back again next week with a whole another episode. Stay safe. Have a great week. Thanks. If you like this episode, make sure to leave a like and share it with anyone else who might be interested. You can also subscribe on any social media platform that you prefer, and all our links are in the bio. We also have a website with all our episodes as well as blogs and a whole lot of other sports content. So make sure to check that out as well.